You're listening to Music You're Missing. I'm Brendan Gennetti, and today we are joined by Spafford. Since venues have reopened, I've been going to pretty much any show that I can. I recently got into the jam band scene, and honestly, I'm hooked. If you're unfamiliar with jam band and the jam band scene, according to the trusted source, Urban Dictionary, the term jam band is of course rooted in the fact that all of these bands jam or improvise for long periods of time during their shows. Other characteristics of jam band status include dedicated traveling fan bases, close rapports with such fans, long sets at shows, and of course, a whole lot of psychedelics. Spafford, they're no exception. These guys jam. They literally have a 46-minute and 45-second track called Chapel Jam that proves it. I'm really excited to speak with Spafford because they offer a bit more touring experience than a majority of our guests, and they've been in the game for nearly 15 years. I'm super excited to pick their brain about the industry and learn more about the jam band quartet ahead of their show at Big Night Live here in Boston this Friday. You can listen to our favorite Spafford tracks streaming right now on the Music You're Missing Spotify playlist. But before I get Spafford on the line, I do have to ask you something. And I'm sorry because it's corny and I have gone a long time without asking this. But would you mind rating us five stars on whichever platform you're listening to this on? Hear me out. The more five stars we get, the higher likelihood our episodes get playlisted, which gives these awesome artists even more exposure. So you're not just helping me out. You're helping these artists out. All right. That's all for me. I am so excited to bring you Spafford. How's it going, guys? What's up? Where are we calling from right now? Uh, Connecticut. Fairfield. Fairfield. Connecticut. (laughs) You guys had uh, two shows in Connecticut back to back, yeah? Yes, we do. Tonight, tomorrow night. What's up with that? I didn't realize Connecticut was such a, a jam band state. It is. I mean, the East Coast in general is a good area for this kind of music and it makes travel somewhat easy. So, and this is, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) East coast. I uh, recently went to Burlington, Vermont and I saw a a jam show there and I'm, I'm more of like like I definitely kind of vibe out at shows if you know what I'm saying, but I am more of like an EDM guy. But when I was there, I was like, whoa, we're kind of like one in the same. Everyone's just vibing out the same way. Um, and I didn't realize the East Coast had that kind of reputation. Do you guys have like a favorite city to play in? I used to visit Burlington back in like 2004. Uh, my friends went to college there to go see the New Deal, like tear up in town. I don't know if you're familiar with who the New Deal is. In, in Burlington? In Burlington. Yeah. So Burlington's always been a hotspot for jam music and the vibe, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, they definitely have their own kind of unique culture. I would have imagined, and this is just pure stereotype, like cities like Portland, uh, Oregon. Is that a good spot to play in? Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's a completely unique vibe over there in Portland. It's like its own entity up in the uh, Pacific Northwest, but we always have a great time in Portland. The spirit of the nineties is alive in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of touring, you guys are back on the road, back in a van. How's that? No, not in a van. Well, (laughs) we, we had a little, this is is a long story. (laughs) Had a spanning 10 years long story here, but, but specific to this tour, we typically tour in a bus and we were in the van for the first week because 
the bus that we were supposed to be in had a transmission problem, supply and demand right now coming out of COVID, everything else, buses are in short supply, drivers are in short supply. So we had to scramble for the last week to find a bus and a driver. So we were in the van for a couple of days, but we are no longer in the van. We're, we're back in the bus now. Thank you, Jay Adams and Roadhouse Coaches. <laughs> yes. For supplying us with the vehicle and a great driver. I'm glad you guys figured that out. I'm sure that added just a whole lot more stress that you were not planning for. We could do it for like, you know, a couple shows, but a week like this week where there's six in a row, it's almost impossible to to do that any other way. Yeah. Um, with 10 guys on the road, it's just, you know, we'll, we'll get shredded real fast, uh, the band and the crew. And it's, it just doesn't make for a very pleasant evening. It's fun the first couple of days. It's like, yeah, we're yeah. back in the van. Yeah. It was like 2017 when we really started uh, touring early on. Like we did uh, like 40 something shows in our van back and forth across the country. Yeah. And like, it was so much fun. It was insane. It was exhausting. But trying to think of doing that now, like where we were at then in terms of like production and what it took to put on the show versus where we're at now. Like we didn't carry half the amount of gear that we, we had carry now. A yeah. quarter of like, yeah, like six lights and a soundboard and our gear, you know, now it's like there's a full show going on. So a lot more stuff, and a lot more moving pieces, plus a lot more help putting on the show. So it's uh, it's nice. We're, we're all very grateful yesterday to get back into the bus. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's very exciting to finally hit the road again. I'm wondering, though, is there anything about the road that time away from the road made you realize, you know, this isn't as glamorous as I remember? Truck stops, <laughs> literally truck stops. They're like a blessing and a curse. Yeah. You know, especially, especially when you're in the van, they're like a blessing because it gives you an opportunity to get out of the van and go walk around. Even if it is just to, you know, wander around and stare at a Cinnabon that you definitely shouldn't get. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but every, like every once in a while, there's a curse. We stopped in, I won't mention what state it was in, but we, we stopped into a, a truck stop just recently and let me tell you, that was the foulest scent that I've ever experienced in my entire life. It was the absolute worst. And uh, so, yeah, like the truck stop life, you know, like uh, stopping in and out of it. It's not as glamorous as uh, as it may appear. Unless, of course, we're going to Bucky's down in Texas. Are, are we familiar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's expanded now as well. They're starting to expand their uh, reach down there along that southeastern belt. I pray for the day we get a Bucky's in Boston. <laughs> it, it definitely would make no sense, but I mean that that I I've never I didn't even know what it was. And my my friend who's from Texas, I was on a road trip, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you've got to see Bucky's." Like I had my birthday party here, and I was like, "You had your birthday party at like a truck stop?" <laughs> and then I went into it. It's in Houston, and I think it was like the size of like two WalMarts. It was the largest building I think I've ever been in. It was it was an insane experience. Great barbecue there. Good to so know. Stop. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of life on the road, I was actually last night watching your drive-in show. I like. I think one of my my biggest regrets is not being able to catch a drive-in show when you know they were actually a thing. Um, I feel like, especially with your genre, such a unique uh, kind of energy was was throughout that crowd. It almost felt like I was back in time. Um, tell me about that experience. Is, is that like a memorable show for you guys? Yeah. I mean, that was, it was really cool to think outside the box. Um, 
we heard of some bands that were doing this overseas and, you know, we found a local spot that would entertain us. So I think that we were one of the first to do it in, in the country right around that, you know, and then they really started exploding after that. Unfortunately for us, as soon as we did that one, then the heat got to Arizona and we couldn't put ourselves, the fans and, and the crew in, in that type of heat all day. So um, it was cool for what it was worth, but you know, the whole time I missed, um, you know, the sea of people yeah. um, cheering rather than car horns honking, <laughs> at us. Um, which was fun, you know, lights flickering and all that stuff, you know, and I think the fans really enjoyed it because there wasn't a lot of people up in their space, but I, I remember for me, there's, you know, almost a little bit of a disconnect because I'm used to being on top of people, you know, and just more of that, that crowd sense. So it was great to do it while, while it was there, but I'm, I'm glad and, and grateful that we've moved on from it as well. And that we can get back to filling up venues again. That's actually really interesting to hear. I honestly never thought about that from that perspective. Were they like honking their horns mid set? Yes. Was that distract? Did that distract you? No, it was, it was great. It was like applause. Yeah. yeah, they can't like screaming applause. It's like, man, you got a car horn. Why wouldn't you just honk the horn? It was, it was awesome. That's there really was like great. people. There was like people dancing on top of their cars and holding signs and stuff. It was a really kind of epic experience. Yeah, it was also a time where where nobody was sure how long this was going to last. I mean, had we known, uh, we would have probably played more uh, more driving shows, but nobody knew it was happening. You know what I mean? We had just had to cancel an, an entire tour, uh, or almost an entire tour. And, uh, you know, we were grounded, stuck at home and nobody knew how long it was going to last. So we couldn't was, even leave Arizona. We really couldn't. Yeah. It just wasn't safe, you know? So, um, we barely left our houses up to that point. Yeah. We're like, yeah home like quarantining nobody knows what's going on like you're still like quarantining packages from amazon because you don't know what's like yeah. coming in your house yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like all right we're gonna play a show so it was like zero to 60 you know like is was wild man but amazing like from a fan perspective it's it has to be pretty nice to just bring in your cooler and your car and have your whole space and like you know be able to just kind of Relax. So it could be interesting to see if drive-in shows make a comeback, but also with like a pit so that you can walk up. Uh, I, w- I would be interested to see how that would play out. Mm-hmm. I think that would be so cool. Have you guys heard of like the fiasco that happened with the chain smokers when they did a drive-in show? It was like no. right at peak COVID and they did a drive-in show and they just didn't adhere to any of the rules and it essentially was a pit like that. Um, and I that's when I thought that they were going to end. I, I thought like that was going to be, we finally had like a glimpse of live music and then it made national news that like the drive-in shows were bad. <laughs> um, so I really thought that was the end of them, but I would love to see them kind of make a comeback, almost like mini music festivals. I think that'd be sick. Yeah. That was like the same thing when we did our pod show at the, at the Marquee. You know, it started as pods, um, which pod, it was just white chalk on the ground. Uh, so people, it turned into, it turned into a pit by the end of that one. So when you did the drive-in show, how long were, was that your very first time performing from the whole like COVID shutdown? Yeah. And then how long did you go where you were able to play again? What was the next show? Well, we did we did a New Year's Eve show, but there were no fans in the building. It got pulled a week before the show yeah. because oh, no. right after like Thanksgiving, 
So people are visiting, like uh, cases surged and it reached like the benchmarks for the county that they had. They had, they pulled all permits for live events. So we ended up doing a stream, but that was going to be our, our next show. And it got, it was supposed to be pods and it got pulled because of, you know, everything going out of control again. Right. And then got pushed to April for the marquee, which wound up being, yeah, pods outside. So April after that was like the first time we played in front of people again, but we did do a couple streams and some other stuff from our studio um, during that time. What did you guys feel about the live streams? Um, I honestly haven't talked to many artists that like them. Um, I feel like, like you said, there's that disconnect. And especially with, you know, your music, I feel like your fans really like feel it. Um, did you guys, I mean, do you, do you plan to do them going forward? I mean, the support from the fan base was, was really cool because just like we were stuck at home, they were stuck at home too. Yeah. You know, and here comes Friday night again and there's not, there's nothing to do. So you know, I think that they really appreciated it. The only, the one weird thing is now, now there wasn't people screaming or horns honking at us. Yeah. I mean, it was just dead. We're like raging, you know, <laughs> and God, and it's just dead silent. And, uh, that was a little awkward. Um, yeah. but we've also been doing live streams online for nearly a decade. I mean, the first one was a cabin jam back in 14 or 15, I guess. Yeah. So not, I guess not that long, but still, you know, we've been doing live streams for a very long time and, um, our fans really kind of, uh, appreciate that. And, um, they've kind of latched onto that. So, yeah, you know, I, I, something I appreciate about Spafford is you guys have some really loyal fans. Um, I know that you guys have like fan clubs. Um, and I don't know, I just think it's cool that it seems like they support you and kind of everything you do, like the live streams. Like I said, I, I've seen other artists where it, it didn't translate well during the whole COVID situation. Um, and like from a business perspective, I feel like your genre is really fascinating because it is one of the most flexible genres. Like example, I work more in the pop world and the intersection between like your potential success and the creative process is very like intertwined. Um, so I'm just curious as you've grown in the industry and, and you know, your fans have supported you in the, the jam scene. Do you think it's changed with like social media in the streaming world? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Everything's changed with social media and like we are in a unique position um, as a band, I think of like, when the band started and the role that social media played in life then to now mm -hmm. where like Instagram was brand new. Like I remember our guy Chuck was like, what is this Instagram thing you're doing all the time? And like, you know, all of this stuff like evolved to now like Facebook ads and business manager and TikTok And there's so many different platforms and ways to get out that like, it's absolutely changed everything. Um, and you really have to be able to adapt with it. Like, Word of mouth is no longer someone passing a tape over to a friend yeah. and then making a copy and giving that to someone else. Now it's all like social media and there's a lot of, uh, I think pros and cons to that. Um, but it's just the way people receive information now and you can't really like fight progress. So there is definitely, you know, it's extremely, extremely different now than it was 15 years ago and it will be different 15 years from now, who knows what social media and metaverses and everything Jesus. else is going on. 
the future of music, you know, like what will live streams be like immersive? Like, it's just, it's really fascinating to think about, but absolutely it's changed a lot of things. Yeah. I feel like it, it has changed a lot and I'm, I'm still waiting. Like you said, like that whole metaverse and that user experience, I'm still waiting for a change, like for the consumer standpoint, like I would love to go to a VR show and you know, I've, I've, I've seen some in like Fortnite or whatever, and they're still not there yet, but like, I would love for, you know, that technology to, to like, be ready to go. Um, but I still think we got some time, but I feel like right now, like that new and emerging technology is really just kind of pushing like the marketing behind it. Do you guys f- ever think like j- the jam band scene will hit TikTok? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is, yeah. you know, it is there. We see some of, you know, the bands, you know, that, that we know and love and some of our friends that are, are jumping on there and doing it. So, um, it's really like the the circle of like music and how pop and like things that people are into like change and like you know it's just I don't know, it's a constantly changing landscape you know like you've been listening to pop music now versus ten years ago and what people like I don't I don't know if a jam band's ever going to get a song that TikTokers use like you may get jam band people that use TikTok but as far as like a viral song infiltrating TikTok that millions of people are using underneath their video. I think that could be a great challenge and a great breakthrough. If someone, the jam band could get uh, some successful TikTokers to loop their song underneath and get everybody else recreating it. I think that would be so sick. I actually, I'm uh, getting my master's at like Berkeley college of music and music business. And we actually, we were just talking about how, top 40 and jam bands like they don't it doesn't really exist but jam bands can have made more money than a lot of these top 40 artists and having a top 40 song doesn't necessarily translate to success um the example they used was grateful dead only had one top 40 hit and it was way late in their career um so i just really think it's a a fascinating part of the industry um like i said it's very flexible and i feel like you know you can you definitely have your own set of rules which i think is cool yeah, it's a different business than like there's a book called Marketing Lessons We Learned from the Grateful Dead. It's pretty interesting to see how their approach to marketing and the way that they just completely turned the music industry upside down with how they achieved their success. Um, it's pretty fascinating how that has evolved and making comparisons there between like non-music related businesses. And uh, it's a cool book. If you've never if you've never read it, you should check it out. Yeah, no, I'll definitely put that on my radar. That actually brings up another point. Um, I, we were also talking about how the, the Grateful Dead used to have um, sections of their show where they would let people come in and record. And there was like a, a black market almost for, for their footage. Conversely, I went to an EDM show last weekend and the artist team came out and they taped our phones so that you couldn't take a picture with the front facing or the back facing camera. What are your thoughts on that? Because at first I was like, all right, like relax. And then I was in there and I was like, this is awesome. I, I actually really appreciate this. I think I only saw three people. It was like a 5,000 cap venue. I think I only saw three people break it. Um, and like I said, like EDM, there was that vibe going on. I really liked it. What do you guys think about that? My take is at least for our show night after night is a completely different experience every single, every single night. Mm -hmm. I think those other acts are maybe going out and they're working on one, you know, theatrical, you know, our set um, that they might not want people viewing unless you're paying for the ticket to, to go. 
Um, so it, that, that may, I don't know, I'm not in that world, but that's what I would make up for us. We still allow tapers to come out to our show and they can tape for free. Uh, they don't take a, a board feed, um, but they, you know, they'll tape, you know, the, the, the front of house and, you know, they can put that out on services like archive.org, which is where we started putting up all of our shows back in 2010 and 11. That's, that's where everything went up. Um, and there are still tapers that come out today and they can come out, uh, and we'll always take care of a taper because that word of mouth, you know, is important. Um, so we'll take care of the taper and they, they'll tape the show and put it out on, on the internet and give it away to people for free, you know, mm-hmm. and that is still important for us to do today. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great, that's a great point. I was like, it's also, you know, miss opportunity and missed exposure. I definitely understand it kind of messes with the vibe, but I mean, that's 5,000 people that are offering to, you know, share your, your brand on their social media. Yeah. They just kind of goes hand in hand. Like the more, uh, things get like plugged in, the more people like seek to unplug. Yeah. It's like just a real thing. Like you have so much time on your phone. You just pay hundreds of dollars to go like have this experience. Why do you want to spend your whole time with your phone in your hand? You know, so I mean, I can get it. You see it at like weddings all the time, unplugged ceremonies. Like, I think more and more people will, <laughs> you're going to like pay money to go put your cell phone down because you, say, hey, you know, I need a retreat and I need someone to make rules so that I can't be plugged in <laughs> yeah. because otherwise I will be plugged in. Like, that's just the world we live in. So I could understand, like, it's a, it's a vibe, it's an aesthetic and, I fully support it. I mean, if you're some like amateur and you know, you suck, I think it might be, <laughs> I might be there and I might be like, all right, let's relax a bit. But if you're putting on a great show, absolutely. I'll put my phone away. Like uh, no one else deserves to see this. I, I paid my money. I'm here for, you know, my experience. And it really did. It really did make, like elevate my experience. I will say. And we're pulling out the tape tonight. We're taping everyone's phones. <laughs> Experiment and see how they react. We talked about that. putting putting on a show where, you know, like you drop your, your cell phone or camera or recording device or whatever at the door. And uh, and I think that some of that might lead to a little bit of, uh, you know, like FOMO. You know, if, if uh, if you know, if, if you do, if you weren't there, you weren't there and you missed it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like we talked about it and we've never actually, I don't know as if taping over people's phones is something that I would, I would say would benefit us or anything like that. I guess to a certain extent, I kind of understand it, but I don't know. I, I agree with the sentiment of, of sharing. It is actually better. That word of mouth is kind of priceless. It's tough to put price tag on that mm-hmm. to a certain degree. We don't, we don't allow videotaping, you know, and people to, to release that because we do want to leave some to be desired, you know, and we do want them to have FOMO if they didn't, if they didn't show up, you know, um, so. Of course. I mean, and you guys are, are shredding like for, for long, extensive, improvised amount of times. I'm sure, you know, like you said, each concert kind of lends itself to a unique thing. Um, so for other people to, to get that and it almost kind of lose its value a bit um, if it does get out there because it is so unique to that one show that you had. Um, so as I was kind of just going through your press and, and the old footage and whatnot. Something that I thought was kind of funny, actually. People are just so lenient to tell you about their drug use to their face, to your face. Like you're getting interviewed and they're like, yeah, I was on shrooms the other day. 
And I mean, I, I've even had that, you know, with me, with artists like backstage and to an extent, I'm like, can you, I'm like, I'm working. Like I've, I've had some guy come up to me like on shrooms, tell me he was like tripping on shrooms while I was backstage, like working in an office. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to do business right now. Do you guys ever, like, is there a line for you guys with, you know, people telling you about that and like their vibe or he's like, yeah, it's just part of part of the artistry. They don't need to tell us. They don't need to tell us. We can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's hilarious it's like a part of the culture and like you know people are into it and like each one of us has our own stories we're not going to get into those but of course it, it's like if people want to like talk about it it's like okay that's cool like if you're in my backstage green room then maybe a different conversation but i mean yeah it's, it's kind of like part and parcel of uh of this whole thing i imagine all right well spafford thank you so much for your time i'm super excited i'm headed to your show this friday at big night live like i said this is my first time seeing you guys live i'm honestly new to the whole jam band scene what can i expect from your set shrooms expect i don't know the unexpected we don't we don't really know what we're gonna do yet there so it's come for prepared for anything. So. All right. Well, I'll let you go. I'll, you know what? Just like the other people in the past, I'll let you know if I end up doing shrooms at your show. All right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll find you in the green room. I have another podcast where we talk about your psychedelic experience. <laughs> <laughs>